Good evening, everyone. All right, why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight, Lord, for your your wondrous cross, for sending your Son to die for us, that we might have eternal life. Father, we need your grace tonight. We ask that you would make your words simple to understand. And help us, Lord, to see the magnificent truth clearly and how it relates to us as we study tonight the 70-week prophecy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Before we begin our subject, I want to encourage you to really try to make it here Friday night. Uh, If you've been inviting people and they've been saying, oh, well, I'm not sure. Just tell them Friday night you have to come. This is the night that you cannot afford to miss. What night, everyone? Friday night. Okay, very good. Can I get my microphone turned down just a little bit? Okay. Let's go ahead and open with Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Tonight's message is entitled The Temple Exalted. We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 9. And Daniel chapter 9 contains a prophecy called the 70-week prophecy. And uh, I want to start by just uh, explaining to you that from Daniel 9 verses 1 on, on down to about verse 21, Daniel is praying. Daniel chapter 9 verses 1 to 21 is a prayer coming from the lips of Daniel. And in order to rightly understand the 70-week prophecy and what it relates to, what it's all about, it's important for us to understand the prayer that Daniel is praying. Now, from verse 1 on, he's doing a lot of confessing. He's saying, Lord, we have sinned against you. Remember, at this time, they're in Babylonian captivity. But I want to focus in on verse 17. Because after Daniel is praying and he's confessing all these sins, then he comes to the point of his petition. And it is contained in one verse. And it is found in verse 17. And it says, now therefore. And that now therefore is kind of like a... That, that switching point of the prayer. From verses 1 to 16, he's been confessing. And then he says, Now, therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy what? Cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. That is his prayer. That is his prayer. And now we're going to take a little trip back into time as we usually do every night. And we're going to try to get a little context for why Daniel is praying this particular prayer. Now, I'm going to read a verse to you. And first you'll say, well, what does this have to do with anything? But just bear with me. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a what? Throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. It goes on to say, above it 
stood the seraphims, those are angels. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. It goes on to say, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his what? Glory. So Isaiah here is in vision and he sees the Lord in his temple and he says, man, his glory was so magnificent, it filled the whole entire earth. It says, and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with what? Smoke. This is what the glory of God looked like. In Isaiah 42 verse 8, the Bible says, I am the Lord, that is my name and my what? Glory will I not give to another, neither my praises to graven images. Now let me ask you, based on this text, do you think it would be fair for us to assume that God did, God did not just say this just because he wanted something to say? Is it fair to assume that it's very possible that Satan himself wanted to have the glory of God? What do you think? Yeah, it's so. God says this because in heaven, Satan himself wanted the glory of God to go to who? To himself. Now, you see that up there, God's face equals God's glory. You're saying, what does that mean? Well, in the book of Exodus, chapter 33 and verse 18, God and Moses are having a conversation. And Moses asked God, a question, And here he says, and he said, I beseech thee, he's speaking to God now, show me thy what? Glory. And now notice how God responds. And he said, thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and what? And live. So we see here that God's face is equal to his what? To his glory. It's as though the very glory and essence of God was seen in his face. And God says to Moses, Moses, you can't see my face because if you saw my face, the glory would be so incredible that you would what? That you would die. Now, we see here, Satan wanted God's glory. Notice Jeremiah 14, 21. This is just a text to give us a little more understanding here. Do not abhor us for thy name's sake. Do not disgrace the what? Throne of thy glory. So the throne that God sat upon in heaven was the throne of his what? Glory. And what did Satan say about the throne of God? I want his throne. I want to be exalted above his throne. In other words, Satan wanted the glory of God. He wanted the throne of God. Satan's war was against God's throne and thus against his, his glory. Now, Satan wanted to have the very, what? Face of God. Now, what do you think I mean by that when I say Satan wanted to have the very face of God? In other words, when the angels, this is what Satan wanted. When the angels looked at him, he wanted them to see who? God. That's how much he wanted the glory of God. He wanted to be seen and recognized as God himself. Is this making sense? This is what Satan wanted in heaven. The glory of God. 
he convinced the angels, one third of the angels, to rebel against the glory or the what? Or the face of God. And the angels did rebel. The Bible says there was war in heaven and they were cast out. Now, the angels were cast out onto the earth and Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve and we know that Adam and Eve fell. And after they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Bible says that God came looking for them. And would you like to guess what happened when God comes looking for them? The Bible says, and this is Young's literal translation, and they hear the sound of Jehovah God walking up and down in the garden at the breeze of the day, and the man and his wife hide themselves from the face of Jehovah God in the midst of the trees of the garden. So now, when God comes to, to uh, approach Adam and Eve, the Bible says they hid from the face, or the what? Or the glory of Jehovah. Remember, brothers and sisters, when we are in rebellion against God, when we sin against God, we cannot stand to look in that what? We cannot stand to look in that face. And Adam and Eve hid themselves from the face of Jehovah. Now God gives them, gives humanity, not Adam and Eve, but gives humanity a sanctuary through Moses. And what is the purpose of the sanctuary? That I may do what? Dwell among them. Why? Because mankind had become apprehensive about God. Mankind no longer understood the nature or the character of God. Through sin, mankind became confused about who the true God was. So God says, I'm going to put my sanctuary, which is what Satan rebelled against in heaven. I'm going to bring my sanctuary or my government down to the earth to show mankind what heaven is really like. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may do what? Dwell among them. And this is the sanctuary that was built in the wilderness by Moses. Now, there's a fourfold purpose of the earthly sanctuary. Please remember these points, okay? Number one, the sanctuary was given to us to put an end to what? To rebellion. What rebellion are we talking about? The rebellion that Satan began in heaven. Okay, the, the sanctuary was also given to, to provide reconciliation for iniquity. In other words, the sanctuary taught the lesson of how mankind could finally be reconciled to God through the forgiveness of sins. Amen? Alright? It also was given to restore fallen humanity to everlasting what? Righteousness. That's what heaven is about. Heaven is about everlasting righteousness. God gave us the sanctuary to teach humanity how they can be restored to everlasting righteousness. And finally, the sanctuary was given to direct humanity back to the where? Heavenly sanctuary, which is the true tabernacle, the Bible says. Alright, now, I want you to notice... What Exodus 29 verse 43 says, it says, and there, this is God speaking, and there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the, and the tabernacle shall be what? Sanctified by my glory. What does that mean? God said, I will come down and I will sanctify or make pure, purify the, the, the sanctuary by my 
glory, or we might say by my face. Very good. You guys are following along perfectly. Alright, notice again. The Bible says in Exodus 40, verse 33 to 35. This is when the temple was finally completed. It says, And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar, and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses did what? Finished the work. Now notice what happened when Moses finished the work. Then a what? Cloud did what? Covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord did what? Fill the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This was evidence that God was now dwelling amongst the children of Israel. And as we learned a couple of days ago, last night, and, and I think a couple of nights before, that God led the children of Israel into the promised land through this, through this cloud that would just hover over the, over the temple. So when the cloud moved, they picked up the temple, packed it up, and moved along with the cloud. The cloud led them into the promised land. The Bible says, And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he swore to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round Joshua. This is now Joshua, one of the Israelites who had led the children of Israel into the promised land. Now, years passed, and we come to a second temple. In the wilderness, they just had to build this makeshift temple. But now that they were settled, God calls a young man named who? Solomon to build him a permanent structure. And so Solomon sets out to build this temple. He shall build a house for my name. First Chronicles 22 verse 10. Let me ask you something. What do you think happened after Solomon finished building this temple? There you go, someone guessed right. Or you may have known that, I'm sorry. And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the what? Cloud, for the glory of the Lord had done what? Filled the house of the Lord. The glory of the Lord, or the what? The face of the Lord had filled the house. That was that Shekinah glory. That glory that no man could look upon and live that filled the second tabernacle. Now you would think that Israel would be so, you know, thankful that God had dwelt with them. But guess what they began to do? They began to rebel against the very sanctuary that was in their midst. So, notice what the Bible says here. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the what? Prophets. Now, what was the role of a prophet according to this verse? The only thing the prophet did was say, hey, you are rebelling against the government of God. That's what the prophets were for. The prophets were sent to Israel to testify and by all the seers, same thing as prophets, seers, seers, okay? Saying, turn ye from your evil ways and do what? 
Keep my commandments. Now, what commandments is he talking about? We've been talking about it all through the meetings. The law of self-sacrificing love. You got it. And my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded your fathers, and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets, notwithstanding, they would not hear, but hardened their necks, like to the neck of their fathers, and they, that did not believe in the Lord their God. Second Kings 17, 13, and 14. So the children of Israel began to rebel against the very law that was in their midst. Just like who? Just like Satan had done in heaven. So, what does God say? Therefore, thus say the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, will I bring them and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all the nations round about and will utterly do what? Destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing and a perpetual desolation. In other words, this is Jeremiah 25, 8 and 9. In other words, God says, listen, Israel, because you are now rebelling against my government and breaking the very foundation, the very law of my government, I'm going to allow you to go into what? I'm going to allow you to go into captivity. How long? The Bible says, and this whole land shall be a what? Desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon how long? 70 years, Jeremiah 25, 11. So God now prophesies that Babylon is going to take Israel captive and hold them in captivity for how long? 70 years. Why were they held in captivity? Because what? Disobedience. They had rebelled against the government of God. They had rebelled against His glory or against His Face. Very good. Very good. So, is God going to leave the children of Israel in captivity? We'll find out in a moment. Notice what the Bible says here. Isaiah 59 verse 2. But your, your what? Iniquities have done what? Separated between who? You and your God and your sins have hid his what? face from you that he will not hear you. Beloved, what does sin do in our relationship with God? It separates us. It hides his face from us or his glory from us. And now we know that we can't see the face of God and live. We're speaking symbolically here. God's face is hidden from us when we persist in sin or lawlessness. The same thing that Satan did where? In heaven. Alright, so because of Israel's sin against the sanctuary, God's face was hidden from them. There was no glory that Israel could turn to. Now it says, for thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. In other words, God said, listen, after the 70 years of captivity, hopefully you would have learned your lesson. I'm going to visit you and I'm going to bring you back into your own what? Into your own land. Then shall ye call upon me and ye shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you. And it goes on to say, 
And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. I will bring you again into the place whence I cause you to be carried away captive. So this is the promise now that when we get to the book of Daniel chapter 9, which contains the prophecy of the what? Seventy weeks, not 70 years now, but the 70 what? Weeks. That's a totally different prophecy now. Listen to what Daniel says in 9 verse 1 and 3. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seeds of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, which means Babylon has just what? Fallen. Remember, Babylon took Israel captivity and then they were overthrown by another kingdom, the Medes and the Persians. And now Daniel is saying, in the first year of Darius the Mede, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish how long? Seventy years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And now Daniel begins to pray. And this is what he says in some of his prayer. We're not going to read the whole thing, but this is just a portion of it, which is pretty much symbolic of the whole thing. He says, we have what? Sinned and have committed what? Iniquity and have done wickedly and have done what? rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgment. Daniel says this is the reason why, why we are in captivity because we have sinned against your commandments. Goes on to say, and we come back to our first question, or, or rather the, the, the first verse we read, Daniel 9.17, after Daniel's praying and confessing, he says, Now therefore, O God, Hear the prayer of thy servant. Remember the prophecy? Then you will do what? Call upon me and you will seek me and find me and I will hear you and I will bring you out of captivity. Daniel now prays and says, Now therefore, O God, this is at the end of the 70 years, he says, Hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to do what? Shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. Now, what is Daniel asking for? He is asking where, where, what is the state of the temple right now? It is desolate. When Babylon came and took Israel captive, they laid waste the temple. They destroyed it. And now Daniel says, God, do you remember that sanctuary that you told us to build? That splendid sanctuary that Solomon built for you? We rebelled against it and now it's desolate. Lord, cause your face to shine upon thy sanctuary. Daniel is saying, Lord, please let your presence let your glory fill the temple again. This is what Daniel is asking. And brothers and sisters, this question is so vital to the 70 week prophecy to understand what it's all about. We could actually miss it. So, is God going to answer? What do you think? 
Yes, indeed, because he's going to hear his servant Daniel's prayer. And I want you to notice Daniel 9 and verse 22, or rather verse 21. I'm going to read that and then we'll go into verse 22. Daniel 9, 21 says, And while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me at about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the what? The vision. And now he's about to explain to him the 70th week prophecy. But before we touch that, what is God doing here? What is the, what, why has God sent the angel? God is going to explain or tell Daniel, Daniel, listen, your prayer in which you asked me to do what? Shine my face upon the sanctuary. I am going to do what? Answer it. I am going to do that. I'm going to shine my face upon the sanctuary. Now, God is telling Daniel he would fill the temple with his glory once more. Very important, brothers. I know it seems like I may be belaboring the point, but just you will understand why as we move on. The temple was indeed rebuilt. Now you got to understand this. The temple was rebuilt. There were certain decrees that went out after Israel came out of captivity. They went back to their promised land and they built, they rebuilt the temple under a lot of opposition, but it was rebuilt. And I want you to notice when the temple was rebuilt, what do you think happened? Don't look up there now. Just, just think back. When the, Moses in, in the, when the temple in the wilderness was built, what happened? After it was finished. The glory of the Lord did what? Fill the temple. When Solomon built that second temple, what do you think happened? The glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now let's see what's going to happen. And they sang together by coursing praise and giving thanks unto thee because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and the Levites and the chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house, this was 70 years earlier, they were alive, they had seen the first temple. It says, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, what did they do? They wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy. It says, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. Ezra 3, 11 to 13. Beloved, there was no glory that filled the temple. Nothing happened. They built the temple. They're waiting for this big God has said he's going to fill the temple again. He told us through the prophet Daniel, we've built the temple. And what happened with Solomon's temple, what happened back in the wilderness has not happened today. Is God with us? They begin to weep. We're going to notice something here. There is no Shekinah glory that fills this temple. And yet God has said, I'm going to cause my face to do what? 
shine upon the temple. I will fill this temple with my glory. Where is the face of God? Listen. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? This is God now speaking to Israel. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? In other words, God's saying, look, look at this second temple. Compare it to Solomon's temple. It says nothing. It's not as splendid. It's not as large. Nothing. Isn't it nothing in comparison? And then he says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel. That was one of the men who led out in the work, saved the Lord. And be strong, and I will shake all nations, and the what? Desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. What in the world is he talking about? The desire of nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory. I don't know. We're going to need to find out. The glory, same Haggai, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. The glory, God continues by saying, the glory of this latter house shall be what? Greater than of the former, say the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, say the Lord of hosts. In other words, God is saying here, listen, the glory of this second temple that doesn't look anything like the splendidness of God's, of Solomon's temple, is going to be greater than Solomon's temple. And you can imagine the people sitting there scratching their heads going, how is the glory of this second temple that is not as splendid as Solomon's temple going to be better than the one that was in Solomon's temple or than the glory of Solomon's temple. All right. You guys have a good foundation now. And now we're going to whiz through the 70-week prophecy because, beloved, the 70-week prophecy is about the what? Coming of the Shekinah glory into the what? Temple of God. This is what the 70-week prophecy is about. Right after Daniel says, uh, Daniel, this angel comes to Daniel, he says, I'm going to show you and give you understanding the very last book of the Bible, of the Old Testament, Malachi 3 verse 1, the Bible says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the who? Lord, whom ye what? Seek, you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with how much? All your heart, the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly do what? Come to his temple. Even the messenger of the what? Covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. In other words, God is saying here, listen, at the end of the Old Testament, he's saying, the glory of the Lord will come and fill the temple. Now, let's go to Daniel 9, 24. And look at what the Bible says. Seventy weeks. This is what the angel says. Seventy weeks, Daniel, are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to do what? Finish the transgression and to make an end of sins. What else? To make reconciliation for what? Iniquity. And what else? Ooh. Wow. Yeah, okay, Satan. All right, buddy. Well, not buddy, but I'm going to do this. You're plugged in. Is anybody up here? 
computer savvy? I want you to know this means time out. The, the clock has stopped. So don't even think about it. All right, good. Here we go. Right where we left off. Amen. Thank you, Lord. See, you know how important this is to understand, okay? All right. Ha ha, Satan. Okay. Now, make sure my battery's plugged in good. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. How many of you remember that we said earlier that the sanctuary was given to us for four reasons? There were four purposes, you remember? Do you see those four purposes here? Make an end of transgression and sins. To make reconciliation for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. And to anoint the most holy. Now, we saw the fourfold purpose of the temple. Listen, how was this temple to be filled? That's the question we want to find out. How is the seven week prophecy going to direct us to how God's face will shine upon his temple once more? Notice Daniel 9 verse 25. After he says 70 weeks are determined upon your people. Then he says know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and to build Jerusalem. Which means what? The command was going to come to rebuild Jerusalem that lay in desolation. But also to rebuild its what? Its temple. He says from that time Unto who? The Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. Don't worry about that time period right now. I just simply want to show you something. Why would this angel just come on the scene and say, Oh, hey, by the way, the Messiah, the Prince, is going to come from the commandment to restore and rebuild the temple until the Messiah with the Prince is going to be this long. Why would the angel say that? Really, we don't understand why until we understand what Daniel's prayer was. Lord, fill or shine your face upon the what? The temple. And we see that his face is symbolic of his glory. And now he says, listen, once the temple is finished, the next important event will be the what? Messiah the Prince and if you notice here I'll put it on chart for you look at the pattern wilderness tent after it was built what did you have? the glory Solomon's tabernacle it was built and then glory that second temple it was built and then Do you get it? Oh man, brothers and sisters, come on now. This is beautiful. God is telling us that the Messiah, the Prince, is his what? Glory. Glory. Oh man. I should just go home right now. Oh, beloved. The 70 week prophecy said, listen, Daniel, when, you're, when this temple is rebuilt, 
The Shekinah glory is not going to appear and there's something different that's going to happen. And I'm trying to warn you, I'm trying to not warn you, but tell you ahead of time so you're not discouraged. This second temple, though you look at it and you see, oh man, this is nothing in comparison. He says the glory in it will be greater. Its glory will be greater than the temple before it. Why? Because who would fill the Messiah? The 70-week prophecy, beloved, points to the coming of the Messiah. 70 weeks to contemplate, or rather to the completion of the purpose of the heavenly sanctuary. In other words, God had given us the earthly sanctuary for a reason. And now he says, Daniel, he sends an angel and says, Daniel, I gave you the sanctuary, the earthly sanctuary for a reason. And in 70 weeks, The purpose that I gave you the sanctuary for will finally come to its completion. Make an end of what? Sins. Make reconciliation for iniquity. Bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up the vision and the prophecy, and anoint the most holy. This was the purpose of the earthly sanctuary. Now we're going to figure out this time period. 70 weeks equals how many days? Very good, you guys are smart. 490 days. That's 70 times 7. So is the angel telling Daniel in the Medo-Persian Empire that in 490 days Jesus is coming? He can't be. Because that's just a little over a year. So no, he can't be saying that How do we make sense of this? Well, Numbers 14, verse 34, gives us a principle that applies all throughout Bible prophecy. And here it is. It says here, after the number of days in which ye search a land, even 40 days, each day for a what? Year shall you bear your iniquities, even 40 years, and you shall know my breach of promise. This is what God said to the children of Israel. He said, you're going to dwell in the wilderness for 40 days. How long did they dwell there? 40 years, okay? Another one, uh, Ezekiel 4 verse 6. Thou shalt bear the iniquity of the house of Judah 40 days. I have appointed thee each day for a year. So the 70 weeks then, beloved, 490 days is in actuality 490 what? Years. And now it begins to make a little more sense. God is telling Daniel, from the time that this decree goes forth to rebuild the temple and Jerusalem, until the Messiah, it will be 490 years. Or rather, let me rephrase that. i got to take that back. Let me read this. The entire 70-week prophecy is 490 years. But now what about the coming of the Messiah? In Daniel 9.25 it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah shall be how long? Seven weeks and three score and two weeks. In other words, from the time the temple is rebuilt, counting this amount of time, the Messiah, or the Shekinah, the glory of God, the face of God, would appear. Well, how long is that? Seven weeks equals how many days, everyone? Brilliant, guys, okay? 62 weeks, and that's what that means. Three score is 60. 
So 60 or 7 and 62 weeks would give us a total of how many weeks? 69 weeks for a total of 483 days. Now, please, I'm not going to wear you out with math, so just follow me. You can do the math when you go home. But just, just trust me on this, okay? 483 days and a day for a year would turn to 483 what? Years. So from the time the decree goes forth, if you count 483 years, what are you going to come to? The Messiah. The filling, as it were, or the presence of God, as it were. And so, 483 years to the appearance of the Shekinah glory upon the temple, upon the people of God. Let's see what happens here. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our where? Hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the what? Glory of who? God in the face of who? Jesus Christ. Beloved, 483 years and we may look for the what? The face of Jesus Christ. This is what the prophecy is talking about. 483 years and my glory will be revealed. What was Daniel's prayer? Now therefore, O God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplication and cause thy face to what? Shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate. Beautiful, brothers and sisters. The prophecy is telling us that one is coming who would be able to make an end of sins, who would be able to make reconciliation for iniquity, who would bring in everlasting righteousness, and that one was who? Jesus Christ. And in his face would be seen the glory of God. Now, there were four decrees that were given for the rebuilding of various parts of Jerusalem and of the temple. And we're going to look at those decrees very quickly. Number one, it's found in Ezra 1, 1 to 14, and that was in the first year of Cyrus, which is 537 B.C. Should we start counting from then? We'll see in a moment. Number two was found in Ezra 6, 1 through 12. It was the second year of Darius, both in the Medo-Persian Empire, and it was in 520 B.C., the third decree is found in Ezra 7, 1 to 27, and that is the seventh year of Artaxerxes, and that was given in 457 BC. And then the fourth one is in Nehemiah 2, verses 1 through 8, given in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, and it was in 444 BC. The question is which one of these commandments do we use to begin counting? Well, if we do a little math, math, we'll find that none of these dates work. 537 BC, if you add 483 years, you come out to what? 54 BC. Christ was not even on the scene in this time. 520 BC plus 483 years come, brings you to 37 BC. Again, Christ was not on the scene at this time. Christ was not on the scene BC. What is BC anyway? 
before Christ. You see, does that make sense? Okay. 444 BC plus 483 years brings you to what year? 40 AD. Christ, by this time, had been crucified, resurrected, and so none of these dates work. Only one decree can work, brothers and sisters, and it is that decree given by King Artaxerxes in 457 BC. That decree gave the Jews full autonomy. It gave them uh, uh, permission to reestablish both their temple and civil authority. All the other decrees, they either said you can rebuild Jerusalem or you can touch the temple, but this decree encompassed both. And so we begin to count at 457 BC. Now if you add 457 BC, or rather 483 years to 457 BC, you come to the year 27 AD. What happened in 27 AD? Jesus was anointed as the Messiah. This is the year that he was baptized, that the Spirit of God came down upon him, and a voice was heard, was heard saying, Behold, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. How do we know that? Am I just throwing that out there? Listen, Luke 3, verse 1 to 3 tells us, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... The word of God came unto John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the what? Baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So it's in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar that um, John the Baptist begins baptizing. In the very same chapter, we're not going to go there yet. I want you to notice this. Tiberius Caesar began his joint reign with Emperor Augustus in what year? 12 AD. So that if we were to count the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, from 12 AD you come to 27 AD. In that very chapter, by the way, 47 plus 43, it brings you to where? 27 AD. Remember, you're not counting the zero. 27 AD, there is no zero in the years. 27 AD, in that very same chapter, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being what? Baptized and praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Jesus is anointed as the Messiah in 27 AD. It says, now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is what? Fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. What time was fulfilled? The 483 years. The Messiah had come right on time. He had been baptized right on time. And now he says the time is fulfilled. The glory of God in the temple. Listen, Matthew 21 and verse 12. And Jesus, this is Jesus' first visit to the temple. And Jesus went into the what? Temple of God and did what? Cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. In other words, Jesus' very first entrance into the temple did the same thing 
that the cloud did back in the temple of Moses and in Solomon's temple. What did it do? It moved people out of the temple. Jesus' very first visit to the temple, it says he cleansed, he moved the money changers and those who had been defiling the temple out of it. Remember? And the tabernacle shall be what? Sanctified by my what? By my glory. This is Jesus coming into his own temple and sanctifying it with his glory. Again, and I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come and I will do what? Fill this house with glory. Haggai 2.7 Daniel 9.26 Daniel 9.26 goes on in this 70 week prophecy and says after three score and two weeks that is after the Messiah comes on the scene he was to be cut off but not for himself. Let me ask you was the Messiah cut off? Yes, he was, but not for himself. Listen, Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our what? Peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. He was cut off, but not for himself. The prophecy says also, well, let's hold off on that. Notice Daniel nine seventeen again. Now therefore, O God, what was Daniel's prayer? Hear the prayer of thy servant and his what? Supplication and cause thy what? Face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate. Let me ask you. Daniel prayed for God's face to shine upon his temple. God said, came to him through an angel and says, Listen, I will cause my face to shine upon the temple. How should they have treated that face when it came? Think about it now, beloved. How should they have treated the face of that one who was to come to reveal the glory of God? How were they to treat that face of Jesus Christ? What do you think? I mean, come on now. God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die for you. I'm going to give you glory. I'm going to uh, you know, save you from rebellion. I'm going to love you. I'm going to show you just how much I love you. How do you think Israel should have treated the glory or the face of Jesus Christ? With honor and respect. After all, they had said, we are waiting for the who? Messiah. And you may be looking at the screen behind me and probably shaking your head. Because the Bible says that instead of treating the face of God with honor and respect, they did what? Spit in his face. I don't know, beloved, if you get the significance of that. They spit in his face. What was Daniel's prayer? Cause thy what? Face to shine upon the sanctuary. We're in captivity. We're being tortured, Lord. Please deliver us. Okay, I'm going to deliver you. And I'm going to allow my face to shine upon you once again. To show you mercy. And when the face comes, beloved, they spit on it. Let me tell you. Those who were in rebellion... against the sanctuary of God. Though 
their intentions were good, because they were in rebellion against the principles of the sanctuary, though they said, oh, we are waiting for the Messiah, though they said, oh, we are God's people, when God came to them face to face, in the face of Jesus Christ, what did they do? They spit in His face. They rejected Him. Beloved, God lays out a principle for us here. Because as those who rebelled against the earthly sanctuary ended up spitting in the face of Jesus, even though they had good intentions and, and just, you know, said, hey, we love God and we want to serve Him, it's going to be the same thing in the antitype. Those who rebel against the principles of the heavenly sanctuary... Though they have good intentions, though they say, oh Jesus, we love you, and all these things, when the time for rebellion comes, they will, they won't be able to spit in the face of Jesus this time. But the heart will reveal that if it were possible, they would do it. A rebellious spirit, beloved, will ultimately lead to rebellion against Christ. To rebellion to His face. Beloved, it's rebellion in the little things. That's what God is trying to teach us in this prophecy. Rebellion in the little things. Rebellion against His sanctuary. Rebellion against the things that He says. That even though we may say, Lord, I love you. When we come face to face with Him, because of the little moments of rebellion, we would actually spit in His face. God doesn't want that to happen a second time. And that's why He wants us, beloved, to understand, unlike the... the, Israelites of old who did not understand the principles of the sanctuary. He says, my son, my daughter, now I want you to understand the heavenly sanctuary so you do not end up rebelling against me. How many of you want to understand that? Amen. Listen, it says that he was to make an end of sin. 1 John 3, 8 says, for this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might do what? Destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. The Bible says he was to make reconciliation for iniquity, Daniel 9.24. It says, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by the wicked works, by wicked works, yet now has he done what? Reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. The prophecy, seventy-week prophecy goes on to say he was to bring in everlasting righteousness, Daniel 9.24. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. How many of you are glad that Jesus came to reveal everlasting righteousness? Amen, beloved. And that is what changes our lives from sinful, wicked people to people who love and cherish the righteous principles of God's government. The Bible says here, seal up the vision. The, the prophecy also said that he would that it would seal up the vision and the prophecy. What does that mean? In Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus, after he is resurrected, he's talking to his disciples and he says, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be what? 
fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning who? Me. So the coming of Christ sealed up all the visions and all the prophecies of all the Old Testament. Amen? The Bible tells us, 927, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And we read here in Matthew 26, 28, this is the blood of the new what? Testament or covenant, which is shed for many. What's the word there? Many. What's the word here? Many for the remission of sins. Jesus Christ's death accomplished all these things, beloved. He is the Messiah. Nobody else can be the Messiah. No one else fulfills that prophecy. Jesus Christ is the one that we are to be looking for, beloved. The Bible also tells us here that he was to cause the sacrifice and the oblations to cease in the when? Middle of the week, exactly three and a half years after Jesus comes on the scene as the Messiah, which would be the middle of a seven-year period, he died. And the Bible says, when Jesus therefore had received vinegar, he said, it is what? What was finished? The sacrifices and the oblations. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And notice what happened. The Bible says, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks did, did rent. Right in line with the prophecy, Jesus' death put an end to the sacrificial system. No more sacrifices. We now have the blood of, a sh of the shed blood of Jesus Christ who died on Calvary for us and we now have direct access to where? The heavenly sanctuary beloved. The sanctuary was ripped no human hands, by the way, ripped that sanctuary. Who ripped it? God ripped it. Amen. No more earthly temple. He was also to anoint the most holy. Well, the Bible tells us we have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the what? Throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the True tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. So true to the prophecy, when Jesus died, after he resurrected, he ascended to heaven, he shut down the earthly temple, and did what? Anointed the heavenly temple. He was to anoint the most holy. So the events of the 70th week, beloved, points to the coming of the glory of God to the temple. It points to the death of the Messiah for our sins. It points to the sacrificial system and the earthly sanctuary coming to a close. And it points to the anointing of the heavenly sanctuary. In other words, the 70-week prophecy, in its nutshell, pointed us to the time where the earthly sanctuary would have completed its mission. And now the heavenly sanctuary was to take over. 27 to 31 AD, exactly three and a half years. The question is, what about the end of the 70 weeks? What about that final, that final three and a half years? Well, 31 AD, you add 35, or you, you add 3.5 years or three and a half years, you come to the year what? 34 AD. What happened in 34 AD? We'll get to that in a minute. 70 weeks were determined. 
Here is what's going to happen now. This will help us to understand 34 AD. Here is a question. When the Bible says 70 weeks are determined, it simply meant the Jews had 70 weeks cut off or 70 weeks left to do something. Would Israel as a nation accept the what? Sacrifice made on their behalf. That's the question. Israel, you better get it together because in 70 weeks, the Messiah is coming. He's going to die for you. And if you reject this, we're going to have to find someone else to fulfill the mission and the purpose. Because why did God call Israel to be better than everybody else? No, to go out and share the gospel with the entire world. Now, if they rejected the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, what are they going to go share? So 70 weeks, Israel, will you accept the sacrifice made on, on your behalf for making an end of their rebellion? Will you cease rebelling against me and fall in line and accept this sacrifice? The sacrifice made for the reconciliation of iniquity. Will you accept the sacrifice so that your sins can be forgiven? You can be reconciled with me and we can move on and spread this gospel over the whole world so that Jesus can come again and rid this entire plan of sin. Israel, will you do it? For the ushering in of the gospel of everlasting righteousness. Israel, will you accept the pure, unadulterated gospel? That was to also grant them access by faith in Christ Jesus to the heavenly sanctuary. Israel, will you believe in that same Jesus who has now entered into the heavenly temple so that you can direct people to a high priest that is interceding for them? What do you think the answer was? Nope. Stephen, a disciple of Jesus, became the first Christian martyr. And in Acts chapter 8, after a long talk before the highest court of Israel, the Bible says that they began to stone him, but he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into where? Heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he says it. He said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. He tells Israel this. He tells the court that he is now standing before for preaching the gospel. I see Jesus in heaven. What do you think they should have done? Jesus is in heaven? In the sanctuary? Well, he must have been the Messiah then. Okay, we accept him. But notice what happens when he says this. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And with this act, beloved, Israel had rejected, had said, we officially reject the Messiah as a nation. Now here's a Here's the incredible thing about this. One of the men that was there at Stephen's stoning in Acts chapter 8, or Acts chapter 7 rather, is a man by the name of Saul. How many of you know who Saul is? Saul is the person that in the very next chapter, chapter 8, 
is converted and becomes the Christian missionary to the Gentiles. The gospel is now to go to the Gentiles because the Jews have said, we don't even accept Jesus as our sacrifice. The Shekinah glory had come. The face of God had come before them. And what did they do? They spit in it. And God said, okay, the gospel goes. Now, I want you to notice this. How do we know that uh, the gospel went to the Gentiles? Acts 8, 1 through 4 says, and at that time, right after Stephen stoned, at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went where? Everywhere doing what? Preaching the word, the gospel was now to go to everywhere. No longer just to a small region of one particular people. Now, notice this. Just a little, little note here. This is from the Nation Master Encyclopedia. The Council of Jerusalem is a name applied in retrospect to a meeting described in Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts chapter 15. The events described there are generally dated about the year 50 A.D. Okay, now what are we about to do here? 50 A.D. was a time of this, of this council of Jerusalem which took place in the book of Acts chapter 15. I want you to notice. Paul was converted in Acts chapter 8. I have nine, it's really chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, 17 years earlier... Talking about 50 AD, 17 years before Paul was converted. How do we know that? And he was converted in Acts chapter 8. How do we know that? Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 1.17. He's talking about his conversion. He says, neither went I up to Jerusalem after he was converted. And by the way, he was converted right after Stephen was stoned. It says, neither went I up to Jerusalem with them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. Then after what? Three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him. Fifteen days. This is the first time Paul is converted. He goes and spends uh, three years in the wilderness and then he comes to Jerusalem. Now in Acts 15 is the second time he comes to Jerusalem. And listen to what it says here in Galatians 2.1. Then 14 years after I went up again to where? Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me. So 14 plus 3 is what? 17, and this is this event where Paul goes to Jerusalem is the is the uh, the Jerusalem Council, which took place in what year, everyone? In 50. So, excuse me. In Acts chapter, or rather, um, from from the year 50 A.D., if we were to count back, how many years? 17 years. 50 AD minus 17 years brings us to what year? 33, 34 AD. Give or take some months. This is the time Paul was converted. So I want you to watch here. The gospel goes to the Gentiles. 457 BC to what? 34 AD equals 490 years or what? 70 weeks. The gospel 
is to go to the Gentiles. The Jewish nation rejects Christ as their representative in heaven. Alright, after three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall do what? Destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Very simple. Let me ask you. Who would be the people of the prince to come? Who is the prince spoken about here? Very simple. Listen, who is the prince of Daniel 9.27? In Daniel 9.25, he is called Messiah the what? The prince. In Daniel 9.26, he is called the... Messiah in Daniel 9.27, it is the prince. So the prince is the same as the Messiah. Very good. It's the same person. The same he that causes the sacrifice to cease is the same he that makes the temple what? Desolate. So, notice this. The Jews destroyed the temple. How many of you knew that? Nobody knew the Jews destroyed the temple? Uh-oh. Am I making a mistake here? Well, let's see. Jesus answered and said unto them, Do what? Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and will you rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. The Bible says the people of the prince that shall come will destroy the temple. Who was that? The Jews destroyed the temple. Not only did the Jews destroy the temple, the Romans or the Gentiles destroyed the temple and the city. When you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. In 70 AD, beloved, the, the Gentile, the Roman armies destroyed the city of Jerusalem and its temple, both Jews and Gentiles, the people of the prince to come, destroy the temple. Now we're getting ready to close. I've got to get this point in because we're talking about end time deceptions now. Listen, the Bible says the earthly temple was to, to lay desolate forever. It says here in Daniel 9, 26, and unto the end of the war. What war? Revelations Star Wars. Unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Simply means that, listen, once this temple is desolate, it will be desolate for how long? Forever. There's no more use for an earthly temple. And for the overspreading of abominations, or because of the overspreading of abominations, he, Jesus, shall make it what? Desolate even until the Consummation or the end. Jesus is the one that makes the temple desolate. You say, how could that be? Listen. Be thou instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul do what? Depart from thee, lest I make thee desolate, a land not inhabited. Again, and I will make Jerusalem heaps and a den of dragons, and I will make the cities of Judah what? Desolate without, without an inhabitant. In other words, when Judah, when Israel rejected the Messiah as their Savior, Jesus says to them, listen, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chicks under her wings, and ye would not, behold, your house is what? Left unto you desolate. 
Why? Because they had rejected who? Jesus. Jesus now entered into the heavenly temple where there is the real sanctuary where the ministry, where his ministry is to continue. The earthly temple is desolate. Christ's work is finished. Satan turns his assault now upon where? Upon the heavenly temple. I want you to notice this. This gap theory that the 70th week has not occurred yet. How many of you have heard of that theory? The 70 weeks has been pushed way into the future and Jesus doesn't come or rather uh, the 70 weeks refers to an antichrist who is to make a covenant with Israel and who is to uh, rebuild the temple and in the middle of seven years he is to cause a sacrifice and oblation to cease. Beloved, that is simply not biblical. The he of Daniel chapter 9 is Jesus Christ, not who? Antichrist. The time is coming where the Bible says that those who rebel against the sanctuary will see the face of Jesus Christ coming in the clouds. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to say, hide us from the what? from the face of him that sits on the throne. You want to know why they're going to say that? Because like Israel of old, they had rejected the principles of the earthly sanctuary. Now the people in this time are rejecting the principles of the what? Heavenly sanctuary. Beloved, how many of you want to be able to look in the face of Jesus when he comes?